2: summer vacation here we come
0: yep i packed the craft beers i got it total wine did you remember a bathing suit no but i did pack a bunch of summer wines whites rosés zinfandels wondrous selection helpful guides ridiculously low prices total wine and more
1: this show is part of the head stuff podcast network all be loving this pod right here d-a-v-e encore is right here that's right it's no encore welcome there will be no encore hello my name is dave Hanready. it's the new metal episode
3: of no encore craig Fitzpatrick, patrick how excited are you man even more excited now one take dave hanredi wow how much practicing went into that um hot open I'll never tell. Um, Congratulations on going viral on Twitter this week. Although you
1: changed your profile photograph, which you said you wouldn't do until you were vaccinated. Unless there's something you want to tell us, Craig.
3: Um, I am emotionally and spiritually vaccinated now. Um, I feel like we've come through the worst of it all. And, you know, one of my tweets is doing well. So it's clearly a sign. Um, Razor lighter getting back together. I just saw a few minutes ago. The original, the original line-up, line-up, yeah.
1: up. nature okay. is healing this is um, exciting.
3: I also I also avoided um a massive embarrassment and work just before I clocked off which is um I'm kind of I was wrecked but now I'm just relieved. So that's good. Um are you going to tell was, us I was doing up s- some yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 sensitive information I, I was doing up some like social media copy for uh, a client And um, I had the document all done, and it was like, end of the day. It was attached to the email and everything It was going over. And something inside me was like, just have a final check there. So I went into it, and um, I was just looking through the posts, and everything seemed in order. And um, I went past one of them, and it was like the link descriptor. And and what was supposed to say, get a quote today... Um, had been corrected because autocorrect seemed to be on and it read get a quote daddy <laughs> I was just about to email it I don't know what compelled me to fucking go back in but I got it I changed it and um, now the embarrassment is just you know with our hundreds of listeners I'm genuinely upset that this didn't happen, especially on a bank holiday weekend when presumably
1: there'd be no way of correcting this problem. (laughs) Anyway, look, listen, uh, it's no encore. It's top five new metal songs, best and worst. That's our top five this week. We don't have an album review because there just wasn't anything out. And we thought doing a joke review of Tom Jones's new record would be just a bit mean. So we decided not to do that. (laughs) Instead, Craig's going to be mean when he attacks the sacred cow genre that is new metal. That's later in the show. It's finally happening. It's I'm very exciting. excited. Uh, it's a big episode
3: that, for you. Like, it's yeah, actually, it, it, nervous, it is. Yeah. Like, I,
1: I can't believe we haven't done it. But apparently, like, like, there may be some songs that have propped up, cropped up before,
3: you know, yeah. but we'll see, like, you know. It, it was kind of the elephant in the room. Uh, I was inspired to suggest it by you, Dave, I think, last week, either on the show or just a Zoom call where we weren't recording it for our loyal patrons and stuff um you just brought up the fact that you were like a new metal diehard back in the day i was like yeah he was wasn't he and he's, he's a proud one as well we should do the top five so yeah that's
1: the weird thing yeah this wasn't my choice i didn't coerce craig i didn't <laughs> promise him riches or anything um i didn't make him call me daddy none of that kind of stuff but anyway swiftly moving on uh please, please, it- please. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, This is going to be a big packed episode. There's another packed episode coming soon, though. No popcorn. High fidelity. It's recorded. It's in the bank. It's currently being mixed by the wonderful David Tapley of Tandem Felix fame. Going to get that out for you in a few days' time. Midweek next week, I think, is the plan. Uh, Patreon.com slash Noancor. by the way. If you want to help support the show, help us make episodes like this. Keep the lights on. All that kind of stuff. Bonus episodes. The next No Ox Chord will be recorded in the days to come. If you're unfamiliar with that, it's our listener recommends corner every month. Craig and I convene with Adam for a nice Sunday morning vibe, get some green teas in, and talk about music we've been listening to lately. That's coming out very, very soon. patreoncom slash Thank you so much to everyone who supports the show and continues to. It is greatly appreciated. And now, on with the show. Hey, you heard about the good news? And it was good news at the 93rd Annual Academy Awards ceremony as Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, alongside John Batiste, picked up the only Oscar of the evening worth talking about best original score for the film Soul. And as I've written down here in this Google Doc, the best band in the world have triumphed again. For more, here's Craig Fitzpatrick.
3: As I've written in the Google Doc in red and italicised, this feels like editorialising. Um, yeah, it didn't seem like the Oscars were one to write home about. I did not watch them. I mean, I guess congrats to your boy. It's probably about five now. It just seems like every year he will soundtrack or the two lads, should I say, will soundtrack a film and get an Oscar for it. I mean, it they're two quite so good. far. This two does so feel far. like you're, lounging, you're, you're kind of getting in a few like early shots of just like, listen, Nine Inch Nails, well-respected, critically acclaimed, and I love them. So it gives me a bit more credibility when I talk about the best new metal of all time. It Which does. I think, I think Nine Inch Nails could be blamed for a lot of the... We'll talk about it. Well, I mean, at least, you know, like, yes...
1: Categorization is going to be one of the, one of the exciting sections later on when we discuss new metal. And <laughs> that's I wouldn't, a 20 put, minute section, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It, it, it's so much admin coming. You have no idea. Um, I wouldn't put them in that bracket,
3: but for sure, you could no, absolutely, that's an influence for sure. Yeah.
1: Definitely. Yes. We can agree on that. And will we agree on the biggest news story of the week for reals though? The invasion of Spotify into the Premier League potentially Spotify owner Daniel Eck, who I believe has a can lay claim to a personal fortune of three point four billion dollars, is in contention or in the running, he says, to take over Arsenal Football Club. For more, here's Cave Solakol on Sky Sports News during the week. What
3: a signing for the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, some of these owners may be more receptive
0: to offers. But these offers have to be at incredible levels to tempt them to sell their clubs. And as far as Spotify is concerned, I would just urge a note of caution because Spotify's business model is incredibly controversial. It's almost like the Super League of music, because what has happened is a few of the big names in music make a lot of money through spotify but the vast majority of musicians and performing artists in the world are very unhappy with what they get from spotify because of course in the old days they used to get money from selling their cds and now they just have to rely on a tiny percentage which they're given by spotify depending on how many times uh, their songs are listened to so i would be a bit cautious because The owner of Spotify does not have many fans when it comes to musicians. And if you're an Arsenal fan and you were thinking that he was going to ride in and he was going to save the club, I would just be a bit careful because there are plenty of musicians who are not happy with Spotify's business model. No,
1: that was Kaveh Solichol speaking on Sky Sports News. Not connected to the show, but I thought it'd be nice to pull some audio, you know, make it really, you know, I suppose, dramatic. Um, Later in the show, I will be having a conversation with London-based arts journalist Rhys Debron, who I've known for a few years. He's a very interesting guy and an Arsenal fan. To talk about this, we're really going to analyse it, but... For now, Craig, let give me your thoughts on this. The I mean, like you know, no popcorn is a place where we 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 celebrate the beautiful marriage of movies and music, but football and music, this particular avenue of it, not going down very well. What do you think about this?
3: It's not exactly world emotion, Dave. No, um, I, if I was an Arsenal fan, I would be a bit concerned for sure. Like on the one hand, the size of these clubs, particularly the likes of Arsenal, Man United you do need to be like an extravagant billionaire to even stand a chance of like taking ownership of the club and the amount of billionaires that are like squeaky clean and don't have like horrific um issues hanging over their head or like you kind of like state funded clubs it's kind of few and far between so you could say the likes of a a spotify owner is the best of a bad bunch then, you know, he's only got the 3.4 billion. On the other hand, you know, Arsenal are expensive. Like, is he going to be able to properly fund this? Maybe, maybe if he's pouring so much of his own fortune into it, he'll run the club better and make it competitive and be actually involved in, like, you know, getting some transfer- transfers into play and not just using it as a as a money pot, uh, like the Glazers might. But yeah, I might be, I'd be concerned if I was an Arsenal fan. I mean, we can get into the ethics of Spotify. I, I guess we've covered that. Um, the ethics of any of these billionaires is always um, questionable at best. What's your take on it? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know, uh, to be honest with you. I I think I'm so fatigued from the whole
1: Super League business that when this popped up, I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Um, I, yeah, you're right. You get into the weeds about Spotify. Look, I have a subscription subscription. Perhaps that is an awful thing, and maybe we'll we'll look back on this one day and be like, no, I was a major part of the problem. I obviously don't agree with the hoarding of mass wealth. I don't agree with monopolies. I don't, I, I don't agree with the concept of billionaires, you know It's not for me. Um, but it's hard to pay attention to some kind of you know media, whether it's the Premier League, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, whatever. A lot of the stuff we do engage in does have people at the top who are basically like fucking Scrooge McDuck with a giant bank vault. Um, I'm a Man United fan, not an Arsenal fan, so you know I can't really comment on the running of other people's clubs. <laughs> and I'm also, I'm also Irish and don't go to like local. There was a very Solskjaer
3: esque like. quote there. Like, <laughs> I can't yeah. comment on the running of other people's clubs. I think it's safe it's to say, for say that, me that the,
1: uh, the Glazer family don't have the 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 Solskjaer DNA when it comes to you know who you'd want to see, but.
3: Look, these are fucking massive corporations i mean like, like yeah. l- let's not kid ourselves you know I like that like, he's like, got um he's got Henri and bergkamp and Vieira kind of as like the the faces of this because obviously you know smart marketing and, move yeah pretty yeah good. like i was wondering like he's not he's a pretty young dude like i think he's in his late 30s he's swedish i'm guessing he probably picked arsenal because of freddie lumberk back in the day that would make sense timeline wise so i'm wondering well, where freddie is and all this just didn't have it's more of a title uh, guy
1: as it happens, Craig, you've just—that's a spoiler for my conversation with the aforementioned Reese Debron oh, okay. which is coming up later in the show. He made the same comment, so we'll 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 try not to run afoul of that any further. That's later in the show. If you nice. want to know more about Spotify and their move, potential move into the into the world of major football, that's coming later. It's a really good conversation. Also, good to kind of take the temperature of what's happening over in the UK at the moment with, with regards to the arts and the fight for musicians to kind of get more money. Who's in the right? Who's in the wrong? Is it that simple? It turns out it's not, but it's a good conversation, and it's coming at the end of. The the new section. For now, though, uh, serious news. Billy Joe Armstrong <laughs> of Green Day has done a new interview and he picked out the band's best song and album, or rather his favourites. I would have thought he would have gone for something different. What's he gone for, Craig?
3: He's got it wrong, Dave, yeah. He fucking has. <laughs> Another <laughs> example of the artist not being able to <laughs> um, critique their own work. Um, so he's gone for, as a song, the five-part opus that is Jesus of Suburbia from American Idiot. And I mean, you can't really fault his reasoning from his standpoint because he's talking about how epic it is. Where he's like, you know, it gets in everything that he wants to say about um, his life, his friendship, his family. It's flamboyant, it's big, and bombastic. So I guess it's like you know, he took a lot of risks with this one. He probably remembers the process and kind of like, I guess that creative pushing of boundaries for him. But just the end result is not their best work to my mind. Um, that whole album, I, I will never revisit. When I Come Around is their best song, right? What's your favourite Green Day song before we get into the album chat? Probably Basket Case, I guess. Basket I think. Case is great, yeah. I Hard think I was just argue. being a bit hipster. And no, When, when I, Come I Come Around is a great one. Yeah. I, I That might
1: have been the first one I actually ever heard by them. For a long time, I really did love Good Riddance, open brackets, time of your life, close brackets. Especially because it was used on like the Seinfeld finale, like the, kind of, the, the clip, clip show, show yeah, thing. The penultimate, yeah. But... It got to a point, I think, in pop culture and just getting older when I was like, ah, this is trash. I was like, this is just like American high school graduation song. Like, this is just really kind of saccharine and modern and terrible. So they're a very hit and miss band. I loved them when I loved them, but they're a hard band to love. But look, we'll go from one aging punk to another. John Lydon of the Sex Pistols is not happy this week. There's a Danny Boyle-produced television series on the way, a biopic about the band for FX, so proof that Danny Boyle's erratic filmography will continue. Um, John Lydon's not happy. He says that this has
3: been made without his consent and has has got some fairly choice words, Craig. Yeah, I mean... Him not being happy is probably not the most newsworthy of things, but yeah, he really lays in here. I think it comes down to. Well, okay, so the quote is I think that's the most disrespectful shit I've ever had to endure, he says of the publicity shots that were put out a while back. And actually, judging by the publicity shots, they've kind of got the characters and band spot on. It looks like it might be quite decent. The casting seems fair enough to me, but he says, no, I mean, you know, they went to the point to hire an actor to play me, but what's the actor working on? Certainly not my character, can't go anywhere else, but court is what he's saying, and Brent sees there. So, um, yeah, I think he just wants his cut. He's not involved, I guess, financially, and he feels like he should, you know, John Lydon talks a big game, but it always comes back to the bottom line, I think, and Sex Pistols aren't, you know, they start. They started as a manufactured band that were kind of put together for publicity for um, Malcolm McLaren's uh, sex shop, um, his fashion shop called Sex, should I say. So they've always been a bit, they were sellouts from the get-go, kind of magnificent sellouts for about six months, but he remains kind of high and mighty and... I don't know, this, this kind of strikes me as intriguing um, it's written by Craig Pierce who did The Great Gatsby, alright but also Frank Cottrell-Boyce who had a hand in 24 Hour Party People which I love so, you know, it's a great story I'm surprised it's taken this song to get a uh, big treatment from a, a Danny Boyle type what do you think?
1: Uh, His other quote is a bit more kind of combative. Again, shock horror. He said, you think you can do this? Yeah, walk all over me. It isn't going to happen. Not without a huge, enormous fucking fight. I'm Johnny, you know, and when you interfere with my business, you're going to get the bitter end of my business as a result. It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. (laughs) He sounds like he's on the phone to Joe Duffy. (laughs) It does. Yeah. He also said like, oh, he goes, it's not like we're totally strangers, you know, and then like enemy are like, yes, that is true because they worked together for like five seconds on the 2012 London Olympics opening ceremony I'm like you're not like best mates. you've heard from Danny Ball in nine years when he probably contacted you for one thing um, lots of people in this I've never heard of but Maisie Williams of Game of Thrones
3: is in it I believe so yeah could yeah, be good yeah playing Jordan um, the punk Jordan which could be cool uh, it's somebody, the casting looks kind of spot, spot on from the look I would imagine I'm, I'm intrigued for sure and yeah, John Lydon. It's uh, it's so weird because this news broke, and also there was at the same time there was an interview with him in the Independent where he was talking about how he's now a full time carer for his wife, um, who has Alzheimer's, and he you know he was quite tender in that, and just talking about how they've been together for forty years, and he's you know he's with her till the bitter end, and it just showed this totally different side of himself. Quotes like these feel like he's just playing into the despicable johnny rotten character which he wields out quite a lot and is quite annoying at this point but yeah from the independent article there's a lot more going on there speaking of despicable characters who are quite annoying at this point van morrison has given a new
1: interview i believe with the uk times and it's definitely not a case of i need to promote my album so i'll just say some things uh he's given out he says free speech doesn't exist again this is someone who is getting countless interviews and is basically yeah. a new album don't quite know what he's saying. But he's, you know, we've talked about him before. He's been raging against the pandemic, raging against society and, you know, uh, being fair to each other, I suppose. Um, Here's some of his quotes. The only other person who has any traction or motivation to speak out about what's going on, to get out there and question things is Eric Clapton.
3: Now, I, I should probably just stop <laughs> voting. Vote for Enoch Powell, Eric Clapton. <laughs> Fucking hell. Like if that's Let's your not turn Britain into a black society, Eric Clapton. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, horrible racist Eric Clapton. Horrible. Um, so, Van Morrison continues, if I can write about it, I do. Poetic license, freedom of speech. These used to be okay. Why not now? I don't understand it. Some people call it a cult. It's like a religion. Whether anyone agrees with me or not, it is irrelevant. Just as there should be freedom of the press, there should be freedom of speech. And at the minute, it feels like that is not in the framework. For who?
3: <laughs> He's being interviewed. He's everywhere. He's releasing this stuff. Like he he then says like, if you do songs that are an expression of freedom of speech, you get a very negative reaction. Which is, I you know, he fails to understand his other people's right, freedom of spree- speech. It's so bizarre so he's always, he's always been a notorious curmudgeon this is nothing yeah. new but again like i just it's <laughs> <laughs> can i just say sorry we've we've covered van uh quite a bit in recent times every time we do whether it's me or you we will say the phrase <laughs> notorious curmudgeon, notorious curmudgeon yeah, <laughs> so yeah. good i love it it's pretty good yeah it's um, true though someone who's not a
1: notorious curmudgeon uh, but is notorious is eminem who's been talking this week craig about an incredible
3: purchase he once made very old school would do you approve of this I do, yeah. Um, He was talking about how he's quite the collector, um, which doesn't surprise me. He was talking about, you know, he used to get everything from comic books to baseball cards to toys. And yeah, you know, I've seen him talk before about his rhymes and stuff and he has countless notebooks and he just seems like that kind of meticulous mind. Uh, But his prized possession is um, his copy his cassette tape of Nas's debut, Illmatic. He, he spent 600 quid on a sealed cassette tape. And he says, yeah, that was quite the fine because obviously, you know, if you get Nas's debut album on cassette tape, you're going to open it. Um, I, I kind of love the fact that he's like, I can't believe I dropped 500 to $600 for a sealed copy. Like this is a man that's clearly never been on Discogs and seen like the price of things these days, but it's quite sweet, isn't it?
1: He needs to get in touch with Sonic Architect Adam, who will absolutely show him the ropes there. Sorry, breaking news. The Taoiseach has been asked at the press conference. Someone said to him that people are dying to get back to coppers. And his response was, I don't think I'll make it to coppers anytime soon. Well, not with that attitude, me Martin. Come on,
3: <laughs> let's get back to it. <laughs> I How wouldn't go we there. we possibly get back to it after that no
1: I don't know Um, well I guess you know we can close though we can close off the new section before I have my chat with Rhys this was a story in which I was kind of like ah will I bother but then I realised no no I should we should in fact go back to our favourite part of the show (laughs) Absolutely stunning work from Adam, as always. That it's was Kiss that Corner part of the show. <laughs> we can wrap it up. Uh, hi, I'm live at Kiss Corner. Uh, the traffic is bearing down upon me, but I'll do my best. Uh, we've talked uh, probably too much about Gene Simmons and his whole Rock is Dead thing, but then, of course, there was the recent argument that, no, he's got a point, you know, it's not the, quite the business model it once was. But Greta Van Fleet, Craig, have come out swinging. If anyone doesn't know who this band are, by the way, can you... Um, Accurately describe them.
3: Yeah, Led, Ze- Led Zeppelin tribute act, essentially. It's yeah. <laughs> kind of, you know, it really is just recycled <laughs> riffs, Um, trying to revive that thing. They're the kind of bands that, like, you know, middle to later age dads will be like, oh, finally, someone is bringing back proper music. And <laughs> they're not doing it particularly well. They've had a huge success with it. I don't know a huge amount of their stuff. Maybe I'm doing them a disservice, but from what I've heard, not a huge fan. But yeah, they've... <laughs> Josh Kiska is... Kiska as well. I love that. <laughs> Another Kiss connection has come out and said, he's rubbish. what Gene Simmons was saying. He says, maybe the world of rock he remembers is dead. I think rock and roll is a very elastic genre. It's a very eclectic genre. You wouldn't see, you wouldn't know it from their music. But anyway, it seems like every once in a while, a generation reinterprets what that is. And I've heard a lot throughout the years, I guess, people blowing hot air. Um, and he goes on to kind of talk about it being dormant and you can't really kill rock and it reminds me quite a bit of do you remember Alex Turner being a bit pissed up had an award show and he's just like rock just when you think it's out he always comes storming back and he like talked for five minutes it's very much in that vein
1: yeah very much so I guess Greta Van Fleet are kind of one of those bands now that yield YouTube comments like someone saying something like you know uh my dad. got me into Led Zeppelin. I'm seven
3: years old in Brazil and I love this. And I'm I'm going to get my kids (laughs) into Greta Van
1: Fleet. Yeah, it's just in like 16,000 likes or whatever the fuck. Um, But yeah, look, you know, it's it's a debate that's going to run and run. I like the fact that, you know, he said something to the effect of, as you say, like, you know, his interpretation of rock, you know, has changed. So I'm like, oh, wow, we're getting existential here. That's interesting. Okay, fine. I guess we'll see where this one goes. But for now, that's the end of the news section and the end of Kiss Corner for now we will return there someday though do not worry Uh, (laughs) before i get to my (laughs) probably next week yeah before i get to my interview (laughs) with reese de brun a quick word from another show on the head stuff podcast network
3: this is how it's always been double love is a podcast in which we explore the strange and terrifying world of sweet valley high book by book join me anna Carey, and me karen Moynihan, as we revisit one of the maddest series of books ever written Or ghostwritten. If you ever read about the perfect blonde Wakefield twins, Elizabeth and Jessica, with their eyes the colour of the Pacific Ocean, then you might enjoy listening to us absolutely tearing them to shreds. Affectionately, of course. But of course. And even if you didn't, there's still plenty of drama, kidnappings, stolen boyfriends and seemingly mandatory school dances to entertain you. Find us on the Headstuff Podcast Network and wherever you get your podcasts
1: okay so as noted earlier in the show craig and i chatted about spotify x arsenal and what that means for the music industry what it means for the football game and uh, thankfully i was able to get an expert on hand a man who knows a thing or two about music a man who knows a lot about football and arsenal and we had a big chat this man's name is reese DeBron, he's a very cool arts journalist from the uk and a good friend of mine and now here's me having
2: a chat with him enjoy Fawn and Breguna from 1988 Won the league in 89 so I didn't have to wait Mickey left it late My dad waited 18 years and all he said was it made it more great then another one coming in 91 Tony got Nick Came out and got it done Georgie Graham's magic He has a magic hat 93
3: the first Club both cups In the sack Then a year later Rad Palmer Solo went ard Smudge went ard Right he had tears Merce was on the beers Graham got
0: sacked I was wrapped Full of fears Still I sing Still I sing Delighted
1: to be joined On No Encore By my old European festival Gigging buddy Reese Debron It's been a long time Since I've even seen you man And I guess through Zoom This is a nice a nice little reunion how the hell are you over in over in jolly old london you know there's my there's my xenophobia out of the way
2: yeah yeah well i mean i think you did quite well not to describe it as foggy which is what our american counterparts tend to do <laughs> um I, i'm not sure whether that's an anchorman reference or that they just think of it like we've never left the victorian age but yeah no it's, it's good here things are opening up again um outside of the, the footballing world things are looking quite positive <laughs> Yeah, so listen,
1: um Craig and I talked about it earlier in the show, kind of like as one of the news stories, but like we'll dive into now like like a bit deep. Uh, there's, there's been big reaction to this whole Spotify business, this whole Daniel Ek potentially about to buy Arsenal Football Club with a triumvirate of football legends, etc. I guess I'll start off with the idea of like, this strikes me as a bit of a publicity stunt, but if it is, to what end? Or am I just taking the complete wrong approach? Like, what was your reaction to this news filtering through?
2: Uh, initially, I, I would have agreed with you. I, I did think it was a whole marketing thing for Daniel Eck to build his profile as a person. Obviously, he's a well-known figure for being as influential in music. I think Billboard had him as the most powerful, uh, man in music a few years back for what that's worth. But, so I did think it was a profile building exercise, but he has, he does seem to be a fan. And there is a long—he's on on record as talking about being a fan for a long time, and I do wonder whether or not the fact that we had Freddie Lundberg back in the nineties might have given Arsenal a, a fairly big uh, Swedish fan base for a little bit, anyway, which may have translated to a man of his age. But, um, it seems that he's genuinely looking into getting the finances for it. And he's been, it would have been easy for him to sort of move away from it once the Cronkies had said they didn't want to sell. But he hasn't done that. He seems to be trying to uh, force a position here. And I think that he wants to move into football because he probably sees it like many do as a sure win business. Um, if you look at like the amount of money that's been taken out of the likes of Liverpool, which was bought for 300 million and now worth 3 billion. Uh, or if you look at, um, a similar thing with Manchester United with what the Glazers have taken out in profit, it, it doesn't seem like a huge risk business. And if you can come in with a, with a fresh attitude and be seen as one of the better owners, it's an easy way to build a, a public profile in which you're, you can be quite popular.
1: Well, I mean, the popularity thing is interesting. Uh, so earlier in the show, we played the clip of Cave uh, Call on Sky Sports during the week. He was kind of, I guess, informing people who may not have a Spotify account or might not know what it is, what it is. And one of his terms that he used was he described it as like the Super League of Music, which is just, I mean, I don't know how we feel about that in the wake of what kind of what's been going down. But also Spotify has got a bit of a bad rep. I mean, like, I am someone who uses it. Um, it's kind of an accessible way for, for a lot of people to get their music very, very different from growing up in the competition. Compact Disc era and so on. Um, But there has been quite a vitriolic reaction to this one in particular that I wonder if we'd be there from other people coming in. Not that I'm here to like mount a defense for Daniel Ek or anything, but like, is this quite as toxic as it's being sold as or is this just another billionaire?
2: Uh, well, I agree with you. I mean, there's a certain things you have to look at and take into account when you're talking about Danuek. When you're comparing him to some of his counterparts who or people who already own football clubs, he's a far more savoury proposition. He's not linked to any murderous regimes or authoritarian governments like certain other clubs. And if you look into the history of most people who... Uh, have attained the level of wealth that he has, it's, it's very seldom without controversy. Um, I mean, if Jeff Bezos was to buy a club, I'm sure you'd have people who are very angry about the sort of, uh, what's Amazon paying taxes or, and then you've only got to look at uh, the people who own like Chelsea or Man City to see other more deep-rooted issues. So, I mean, what I feel that Danuek is taking a lot of flat for, and again, I'm not here to mount a defence for him because the guy, the guys a billionaire who've probably sleeps on a bed stuffed with cash um but uh it's it's you have to remember he was pro- he was proposing a, he offered a solution to a problem when the C- when cd sales the gold mine that were for for record labels that were cd sales dried up they were so terrified of piracy they turned to any solution that sounded like they could get something back because it was they were worried about losing all of their content for nothing and where so much of that music had already been paid for of their in their back catalogs already with sales it was seen as money for nothing now the problem i think is is not inherently with spotify as much as people would like to think it is that's it's a lot of the time if you look at it it's actually the the deals that people have with the with their major labels um a lot streaming is considered a sale rather uh, uh than a rental which it shouldn't be, which means most of the time it goes on an 80-20 split to the label. So the, the, when we hear about artists receiving these terrible amounts of money, Spotify don't pay a lot, don't get me wrong, but the artists are receiving a lot of the time such a, such a pittance because the labels are taking 80% of that. But they seem to have like squirmed out of of the discussion on this, and people don't seem to hold them up as the guilty party. they do tend to level it all at Spotify so I mean if yeah, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think you can you can uh demonize him as heavy. he he's slightly demonized in art circles at the moment more probably than he should be by people who haven't looked into it as much as they should have um that said, there are things like giving a hundred million dollars to DMT-loving Joe Rogan, um, which is a slap in the face for artists because it says we value this so much more than what we value what you've created, despite the fact he's often reacting to their works. So
1: Yeah, and like the Rogan thing, of course, he may, like hit the headlines this week, which again was kind of like, yeah, I, I feel like people should know this about him already. Like, are we like, must we keep, you know publicizing him this way because like obviously what he's saying is fucking ridiculous but Daniel Ek hasn't condemned him I think he was asked about it and you know just so I said we've, we've lots of creators we've 8 million people creating stuff via Spotify and he's just one of them which is just p- political level deflection and um, the arts community, like, like, I mean, there has been some, some, some interesting reaction. There was an editorial by Robin Murray in Clash Magazine this week, which was quite spirited, in which he described this potential, uh, you know, union of Spotify and Arsenal as, quote, a cultural obscenity. Uh, like I say, it was very, very fevered, very, very passionate writing from him. Is he on the money? I mean, like, like this union of, like, Music and football. I mean, like, that's one way you can sell it. You're like, I I have to presume the Spotify logo would end up on an Arsenal shirt. And, you know, could there be like a a surreal aspect to this? Or is it is it genuinely is it genuinely quite troubling and alarming for for the beautiful game in a time when the beautiful game is less and less uh, attractive, I would say?
2: Uh, well like, firstly, I, I have to go on record and say I both know and like Robin, but I think he 's wrong um, so and the reason why is because I feel like the the attitude towards it is you're what you 're doing there is you are blaming sport for the way that the music can, industry conducts its business in the current uh, in, the, in the current climate, and that 's not really fair um, so I can understand why passions are so high, especially when it seems like creatives are struggling in a year where they've not been able to tour and which has been become a, a it's, it's weird how that's flipped how it used to be you tour to sell your material and now you use you, you produce material to promote your tours um which is not always a good thing for especially for certain artists whose works is not is not meant to be enjoyed so much in a live setting but with what we need to understand is we can't, we can't blame sport for the fact that music is, is going through a massive paradigm shift. And the fact, if if we want to talk about how Daniel Ek has made his money and how ethical that is, that's a different question to should he spend his, his privately attained wealth on football. Now it does seem to me that there's a certain amount of, and I'm not accusing Robin of this, but I do think it does happen a lot within, within the arts industry in which, there is a certain there's a tendency to look down upon sport and have it as like and a stereotype people who enjoy that as their primary source of entertainment as somehow uh, less cerebral than people who, who appreciate the, what they would consider uh, more uh, relevant forms of culture. So yeah, I mean I, I I can see where he's coming from, but I feel like it's slightly misdirected.
1: Yeah, I mean I I, I guess also. From the artist's point of view, I mean, at the moment, there's the, you know, the hashtag broken record campaign in the UK, in which yeah. a lot of musicians are signing open letters and demanding more money. And that, that seems fair enough. It looks like Ireland will probably follow suit. There's some kind of movement over here to maybe like do something kind of similar. I think musicians, of course, do get shafted. And, you know, you can see from, from, from the top down, the amount of money that is being made does seem rather, um, what's the word, I suppose, just off, (laughs) you know, like there's a huge disparity there. Um, What is the latest with that campaign and like how effective do you think it is at this moment in time?
2: Well, whilst I wholeheartedly support it, I'm not sure how effective it will be. I mean, Tom Gray, uh, who seems to be spearheading it of formerly of Gomez or Gomez still a band. Uh, I'm I'm not sure. I haven't heard of any of their material recently. What I would say is he seems to be convinced that... The conservative government are going to support him because they are such champions of copyright. Um, they won't. And the reason why they won't is because they only support, they only really care about intellectual property rights when they are in the hands of people, the, the very wealthy and powerful corporations. I mean, I'd be very interested. I can't imagine Boris going out there and, and have to, going to meetings with the big free labels and saying to them, what you're doing here is you're deliberately mislabeling the way music's being consumed. So as to keep a higher percentage of the revenue, he's not going to do that. Um The idea like the idea that people like these companies who the, the likes of Google and Facebook who have been completely unchallenged by governments on, on their taxation, which is firmly within their remit are suddenly going to be uh, chastised by, by, by the UK government f- uh for, for the way the system's set up in their favour at the moment, it's it, it's a bit it feels a bit naive. Um, then yeah, I mean you can go to the opposition, but I don't. Who claim to be like represented more represented of sort of like workers' rights, but again I don't I don't hold that much hope. I would like to I would like to see it, but yeah,
1: it's interesting that you kind of drew that line there between you know. One person might regard music as, like, pure, beautiful art, but be like, oh, sport, football, like, you know, overpaid lads kicking the football around, fuck that. And, you know, I understand that. I happen to love both. Um, I, I definitely get more from music than I do from, from football, but, like, I still want it to exist and I still want to watch it, while also being aware that it's, you know, a horrific capitalist regime, generally, and is only probably getting worse. But, I mean... It must be an interesting kind of reaction for people, artists, such as whoever, like whether it is someone from Gomez, whether it's Paul Weller, whether it's Nadine Shah or whoever, to see how fast the UK government stepped in when it looked like the Super League was going to take away six of the biggest teams in, 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 in British football versus I think if six major British musicians are like, well, where's the camping to America because we're fucked over here? Like there is that kind of weird, like that's why I find this kind of Spotify potential takeover thing so interesting because... The like the worlds of football and music to me only really meet when we get dodgy songs, you know. Like like (laughs) I don't know if if you can unite, you know, art and sport in that way. And I guess to see it united in this way, which is automatic distaste, must be a really tricky position. I mean, like, can there be any kind of harmony here whatsoever?
2: Yeah. Well, to go back to what Robin was, was getting at, I do understand how frustrating it is. It must be as an artist. Cause I, I feel that way. Even as a consumer to see, like, no one ever expects footballers to, uh, to, to apply their, uh, their craft for, for, for little payment. However, musicians are in the current climate expected to do that like i've seen artists it, the, the, even the way it, it's set up with the uh, for the royalties in most streaming s- setups they we pay in but the people are under the impression that whoever they're streaming they are like some their payments per month will be going directly to that person it's it, which is not the case it's not a user-centric model what they do is it, all of the everyone's subscriptions gets pulled and the people who get the most streams that uh, then get uh get, get that money so there's no direct fan interaction when you're streaming your favorite artists on Spotify which I feel is a real shame and it's something that they should change so because we can't expect artists to just uh, to produce new content what for our enjoyment whilst not paying for it it's just it's the same I mean me and you both know as writers we've seen that in which case people like and this and this is something that artists don't consider when they spend all of their advertising budget, with a social media giant to push their reach, but at the same time use the content of the interview that you conducted with them, but don't spend any money with your magazine. How do they think that magazine pay you?
1: They don't care. They don't, they (laughs) don't care.
2: (laughs) So the the problem is, is I think a lot of people have a selfish attitude. It's it's not just uh, like limited to football, but football is football is seen as, um, as, as something that's that's easier to sort of have a go at. I mean, I'm not here to defend like defend football in its entirety. There's a, there's a lot about this it. toxic. I've actually got a piece coming out shortly on on should we is is it something that I could enjoy in any capacity, even at like a grassroots level? But um, going forward, but uh, and to answer your question about why why would Boris why did Boris care about the uh the Super League? Well, he had to care because. Mm-hmm. You have, you have to remember that like, he needs distractions and football is, is the biggest one. So it's an easy, it's a, such an easy like PR win to to go against that. I mean, you've got like, when you've got Prince, Prince William, a man, <laughs> I mean, you look at his background and he's telling you that he, ca- he really cares on your behalf, that these six clubs are leaving going to ruin the English football period. But I can't remember the last time anyone saw him down at West Ham. But yeah, that that that's the image they like to portray. So it was easy. It was a, it was a very easy like PR, a bit of a PR coup for the government to act like that was something that they that they really cared about. Because if if they don't care about that, anyone else. Even even when you see like a lot of Sky pundits talking at length about how this is going to ruin the game, it's not that much different from what they did when they uh, took money out of the game to support the Murdoch press, which has been very anti progressive in its mood. It, it, and its views and what it tries to push forward as a movement, when they, they essentially, the Premier League usurped the English Football League in the early 90s. Like this, the, People act like the Premier League has always been the top league. No, that was that's a 90s invention.
1: So I guess what you're saying is, to tie it all back in, uh, Spotify and football is a, a perfect union that will only bring <laughs> pure peace and love and everyone agreeing on the same thing going forward. The, uh, a, a more hopeful union we could not have imagined until this week.
2: Well, I think what I the sad thing is, i probably me, the natural pessimist in me coming out is, it's it's more suited than people would like to think on either side, um, and both 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 industries have huge huge problems. Like, I mean, it. I I've, one of the reasons why I feel like people like a lot of music fans who don't appreciate football. One of the things they can easily draw to is the problems that footballs had recently with racism, with transphobia, homophobia, misogyny, and. Even if someone is, I'm sure you'd say anyone who's ever been to a game, if you were to say that you've never seen any of that, you wouldn't be telling the truth. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I don't know many people who, of a certain age who haven't, who didn't have any downloads from Napster or LimeWire. So, I mean, yeah, we're, we're all flawed in our own ways.
1: Absolutely. Well, look, I to keep an eye on. Reese. thank you so, so much for chatting to us. Okay. When is that article coming out, by the way, and where can we find it?
2: Uh, well, it's, it's, it's at the, uh, the bit of a bidding war at the moment, so, yeah, I'll have to keep you posted on that.
1: All <laughs> right, I'll link it out when we can. Thanks for taking the time, but, I do appreciate thank it. Thank you.
0: Arsenal, bloody Arsenal Going until I die Arsenal, bloody Arsenal And that's why Arsenal, bloody Arsenal Oh, snow, bloody,
1: oh, snow. Thanks again to Reese for taking the time. Look out for that article coming soon, hopefully. I will definitely link it on the socials when it does, as he did say, a bidding war. Right, uh, no album review this week, Craig. Instead, no more dancing around it. Top five time. What do you want to say before we get going on this best and worst new metal songs? It was so hard for me to get it down to five. I'm sure it was tough for you too.
3: Yeah, there was a lot of, um, dross I had to wade through, um, you know, being completely open, there's there's a number of... If I had been tasked with putting together the top five best new metal songs, I might have been able to scrape together something. Um, but my predicament in terms of the worst was I didn't want to just go for, you know... <sighs> the worst kind of album tracks in the later releases of, like, the big bands. Do you know what I mean? Because you can do that with every artist. We've done that with our most beloved artists. You know, the Beatles have rubbish tracks. That wouldn't be fair. So I tried to go for terrible tracks that said something about the impact of new metal. And make no mistake, new metal was huge. And beloved and loathed in equal measure from about, what, 98-ish to 2003, maybe slightly earlier, that's it was a kind of good five-year run, maybe. Well, that's... Came I,
1: I wrote that down. I actually wrote down that particular time period because, like, I've written down some bullet points here. You know, I figure, like, you know, I should give an introduction to the... Yeah, let's uh, do it, actually. Yeah, I think you're the man to... Take well, I mean, like, it's a genre, it's a subgenre, obviously, like, of metal, we know this, new metal, N-U, metal, you know, you think new metal, you think Fred Durst and baseball caps, and, you know, you may, you may very well recoil in, in horror, and I know that there are some fans of this show who have, in fact, recoiled in horror when we announced that we were doing this, I hope they're still with us indulge me dear listener i guess you do every week but in in this corner in particular knock his corner new metal corner right so um a genre that was influenced by bands and kind of hip-hop artists like like from the 80s such as primus fate no more pantera nwa public enemy beastie boys rage against the machine um is it hard to define perhaps i would say at least in terms of acts who would either outgrow or outright reject the tag eventually mm. um Plus, for me, and you kind of hinted at there, new metal is a moment in music first, a subgenre of music second. It's an era, arguably 1998 to about 2003, 2004, defined by a handful of high profile acts and the legion of lesser lights who dotted about because there were lots of those too, for sure. I can't pretend that there weren't. It's a, it's a cagey affair. Um I guess sonically, you know, you're talking down-tuned guitars, no guitar solos. They were kind of stamped out. And a clearly defined pop edge, big choruses that are reached quite quickly, defined imagery, radio friendly up to a point, you know. Um, corn are often credited with birthing the subgenre. <laughs> Ross Robinson, a producer, <laughs> who's arguably the Rick Rubin of this realm, uh, has been credited with coining, or at least popularising the term new metal. His CV has the likes of Corn, Slipknot, Limp Bizkit, Sepultura, Fear Factory, Glassjaw, At The Drive-In, Amen, Machine Head and Vanilla Ice in there. Now, some of those are, of course, not new metal, but they may very well have flirted with it. But Ross Robinson had a nickname, Craig. Do you know what his nickname was? Um, destroyer of Music. <laughs> Close <laughs> no <laughs> Go ahead, what was it? The Godfather of new metal. Which is okay. quite the tag He's still going today He produced that great Touche Mori record From last year That was my favourite album Of the year Oh yeah Look, He's done some great work In Verna Soma just taking the th- piss I think when it comes to this This this, uh, this world You know uh, My general attitude is If they're in Kerrang! magazine Or on Kerrang! television In the early 2000s Well then they're new metal But that's quite flawed Isn't it Craig? Because bands like The aforementioned Amen and Rage Against the Machine Bands like Deftones Who are often lumped in here Incorrectly Bands like yeah. The Icarus line and, uh, and You Will Know Us By The Trail of Dead Cradle of filth and countless others are not new metal, but will appear on new metal compilations or put on new metal playlists. Are you confused because I know I am.
3: Yeah, there's I think there's a, a kind of a strain of um, angst running through it all. I always think of like you know white American kind of suburbia as the backdrop um but along with the kind of angst and loathing there was that hip-hop thing of like a bit of braggadocio as well coming in like there was there was some of that it wasn't kind of it wasn't your grunge thing of just like sensitively talking about your emotions and stuff there was a lot of like bringing in the hip-hop kind of bling as well at points there was a lot of masculinity to the music i think that's probably a feature like i don't think there was too many of these acts that were even featuring any female members um down shooting guitars, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head with the kind of musical description. It's a it's a broad church. It
1: is, yeah. I mean, like, if you want to go, like, timeline-wise, like, it becomes a mainstream genre around around 1998. Corn are kind of number one atop the Billboard 200. you got the Woodstock 99 Festival, which has lots of bands on there from from this kind of era. Limp Bizkit are one of the biggest bands in the world in 2000. Linkin Park for Humanity is <laughs> <like> called
3: 1999. <laughs>
1: Like, Linkin Park's debut album is, like, still one of the best-selling albums of all time in any genre. Although, I mean, interestingly enough, like, like I I think around, like, the late 2000s, acts, including Linkin Park, would denounce new metal. I mean, there's a quote here from Chester Bennington speaking to Billboard in 2007 when he's promoting their new album Minutes to Midnight at the time. And he says, There's still a hip-hop element to us, and there always will be, but we've really moved away from anything that sounds like new metal. I know we kind of helped create the sound of that genre, but I hate that genre. I'm not going to speak for everyone, but I can personally tell you that I'm not a big fan of almost everybody in that category. There are a few bands that I don't really believe belong in there, and we are one of those bands, which was quite the big statement from the man. Uh, I still love Chester to this day. May he rest in peace. give you one more quote before we get going. Here's Fred Durst in 2012. Here's the deal. Say, in 2000, there were 35 million people who connected to this band. Twelve years later, lots of those people have moved on. We were a moment in time, and it's over. But it's not over, is it, Craig? Let's get
3: going. I think you should go first though. <laughs> Alright, I'll start with the worst. Um, this one might be contentious. It's my number five. There was a few contenders, as Adam well knows. I, I think he's having none of it, but I'll give my rationale. It's earned its place for me through sheer ubiquity. Um, it's quite catchy and it's utterly, utterly worthless. Here it is.
0: Come, my lady, come, come, my lady. You're my
3: It's Crazy Town. It's Butterfly. It's, um yeah, a kind of commercial peak for this era and real Nadir, in my mind. It annoyed me tremendously at the time. There was other tracks that, you know, felt lower quality in terms of composition, but I just didn't hear them around at the time. This was everywhere. It annoyed me just as a kind of pre-teen, going into my teens. It was Shifty Shell Shock, an Epic Mazur, um, an LA band. Um, they seemed a bit like this was a feature of New Metal as well, where you'd get a, a motley crew of, not, not the motley crew, but a motley crew of jobbing musicians who'd kind of been around since the early 90s and hadn't really found their sound and then exploded and had... You know, a massive hit and then huge album sales because we were still in the pre-Napster or, you know, just kind of nascent Napster era where if you had a hit, people would buy the album because that was the only way they could get it. So this was their hit and... What can you say about it? Okay, you can maybe give them props because it blends um, a number of different styles. So, you know, um, they were maybe a bellwether for things to come. Um, but, you know, not all initial experiments are successes. Dolly the Sheep, for instance, had a kind of short, brutish life. Um, Wait, so Crazy is,
1: Town are the Dolly the Sheep of the
3: yeah, year 2000? That, that's unfair to Dolly. Um, may she rest in peace. This is just such a kind of weirdly aggressive love song it's like, you know, the bloke in it is tatted up and muscular and telling you, you know, your hair's nice and then immediately thinking that's the green light to like finger bang you or something. Jesus (laughs) Christ! (laughs) It's Linkin Park weaponized is my problem, right? It's kind of like the worst thing about New Metal, I think, was that it had a lot of post-hardcore influences, but it kind of stripped away all of the, like, social conscious and, like, representing the outcast a lot of the time. You can't, and it just sorry, became you, about you, commodifying the you audience. You can't
1: intellectualise <laughs> this after you drop
3: finger bang on the show. What the fuck? <laughs> the magic of the show. Wow, okay. Do you know what? It's, it's not far off some of these lyrics, which are just... Terrible to my ear, and of course, do you know it's it's catchy. Why <laughs> See, is it,
1: everyone's ear? Like, come on, why why
3: good. is it catchy? Because of that guitar line, and I remember some time ago going, "Do you know what that sounds remarkably like?" The Red Hot Chili Peppers, and then <laughs> of course, it's a sample of John Frusciante. <laughs> it's an instrumental called "Pretty Little Ditty" from Mother's Milk, 1989 which is a beautiful instrumental. And it just really roiled me up even more, right? Because I always think John Frusciante, one of my favourite guitarists, so often his immaculate, beautiful, sensitive, uh, inspirational guitar work is then kind of r- ridden roughshod by Anthony Kiedis with his very bro very jock rap metal take on the world And one of the few times he has an instrumental passage on a Chili's record and then (laughs) crazy (laughs) town and shifty shell shock is like the fucking evolved form of like, like Pokemon evolution of Anthony Kiedis really. And then just turns it into like another nasty, come on, it's just uh, utterly worthless um yeah no time for these guys and do you remember the track that shifty shell shock would then go on to um have a hit with with uh Starry Prom, the dj, DJ. prize yeah. paul yeah nailed it very well done which is kind of <laughs> just this song but somehow even worse again yeah it's impressive and, i mean look yeah oh no please i the last thing go i want to do is cut you. i was, was co- going to say they have a lot of kind of songs on the albums and stuff that are pure new metal this maybe isn't pure new metal if there is such a thing but i think this shows the kind of how quickly it became bastardized as a sound and just you know bought and sold and they quickly fell off thankfully but yeah go,
1: go ahead with your point uh, All i was going to say was that like you kind of beat me to it it's like i think we need to make a boilerplate decision here like i'm sure there's at least one person listening to this episode who is like knows the score and could easily separate what is and what isn't new metal as much as I love the genre, this is the contentious problem you run into. So we're not going to do this for every song. We're not going to like, if it's in the list, we're going to trust that it was of the time. It ends up on Kerrang! Yeah. CDs, This, yadda, is, a bit, this yadda, is, yadda. is the
3: one outlier for me.
1: Interesting. Okay. Well, with, with this top five for me in the gold standard bracket, that's what I want to do. I want to pick five gold standard examples of the genre. Five tracks, I think, actually transcend it and are all very, very good. Um it was fucking hard and this like i say this isn't me sitting here and being like oh look they're all amazing greg but there are some incredible songs that i um oh, it was jesus christ it was really really difficult and in the end like i went for some that i think will be very predictable but it's also like how do you do the five best or the five biggest or the five most you know kind of shining examples of the genre and not have these guys so there's some stuff on the cutting room floor here that i'm devastated by but we'll start at number <laughs> five a rough day yeah. Uh, it's it's still going like this is like i'm just uh, i I watched the iron giant before recording by the way so i'm i'm still recovering from that as well so it's it's a whole thing number five for me in the best new metal songs bracket you know it well let's go godfathers of new metal themselves it's corn the song is freak on a leash known to everyone who ever watched top 30 hits in the republic of ireland of course um it's an (laughs) anthem it's an all-timer it's maybe an obvious choice but it has to be here it would be very very strange if it wasn't i think it genuinely holds up i think it's a a standout belter from the band's catalog you know i toyed with the idea of going with blind the opening track off their debut album which kind of i guess you could say begins the it's the big bang of new metal you know but uh you can come back to freak unleashed like it is that good you know it is like a huge kind of pop crossover a very very big song it was the lead single i think i'll follow the leader in 98 had that todd mcfarlane animated video uh in which there's a bullet fired and it goes into the real world and the band are in a practice room and jonathan davis does his scat vocal thing uh i very much enjoy looking up kind of like some kind of academic treatise of songs like this you know there's a uh, a writer called David Lloyd from yeah. the University of Alberta, who said that this song, Freak on a Leash, was an example of a, quote, nonsense utterance technique used by lead vocalist Jonathan Davis. Lloyd also noted that the song contained fragments of English language words and said that they can be perceived in the midst of, uh, of Davis's gibberish. Davis is giving voice to his inner basic feelings, which are trying to resist being shaped or conditions. Uh, conditioned by utterances of others um, I think you know I, I went to see Korn a couple of years ago when I went to Canada and it's kind of like I've seen them before a few times and they're one of those bands that I loved so much for a while like those first four records or so I was absolutely obsessed when I kind of got around to them they were one of the two big bands alongside Limp Bizkit for me to like make me stop caring about just like listening to the radio and whatever was on including shit late night talk shows um. And get into bands and get into albums, and that's why, like I've, I've said this before, and I'll always say because it it's true. You know, I can't sit around at a party and be like, "Well, what really got me into music and bands and caring was, you know, the Beatles or Led Zeppelin." It wasn't. It was Limp Bizkit and Corn, and that's what they were. They were doorways for me into giving a shit about music, like. Like almost like following a football team, you know, it was like going out and just like buying all the CDs and buying the, you know, the special edition of Kerrang that was all about them and learning that way. And again, in a time when the internet was still kind of, you know, a new, a new enough thing. Um, I was fascinated, absolutely fascinated. And I mean, like, yeah, the love affair ended. I remember their fifth album came out and I thought it was terrible. That was 2002. (laughs) And I was like, oh, this is over. Okay, that's, that's kind of sad. Didn't really keep up with them. But I did see them live a couple of years ago. All those years later. They just played the hits, including this, and it was incredible. It was just
3: amazing. The song is gold. <laughs> I love that. Um, in the nineties, the two pillars of the art form that is the scat were Corn <laughs> and Scatman John. <laughs> just like worlds <laughs> apart. Yeah, I mean, Corn were. It's interesting. When I was in as far back as primary school, and yeah, starting to get into music, and it was that tribal thing, as you say, where you felt like you were kind of part of a group. And I certainly have fond memories of the people that were into new metal and, you know, christened the Cornheads out Leaks Way, (laughs) which was just like the thing. But I was like, I was kind of within that group for a little bit and still friends with a lot of them and great people. And the music was kind of okay at the time. But Corn were always, they seemed like that bit more serious and they were kind of held up. Like if you had... A couple of corn albums that was something extra than just having like fucking chocolate starfish you know what i mean <laughs> you meant business you were ready to listen to nirvana um, that, yeah. so that's <laughs> how i always remember corn um i think the scatting probably put me off i never got hugely into them um this is one of the songs that i can maybe take away from their career um the todd McFarlane thing is interesting as well because i was doing a bit of reading on corn and um He said around about the time when he started doing the artwork and the visual stuff for those guys that they were (laughs) the what band of the 90s? The who of the 90s? Uh, oh God,
1: uh, you've stumped me here.
3: Think of me, think of (laughs) the list that I'm putting together, (laughs) my mindset, (laughs) the doors of the 90s. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. I loathe the doors and I was like, ah, that sounds interesting. Um, so, yeah, that was my takeaway. But um, I think Corn have a lot to answer for because I think they should have known better. That's well, all I'll say. That's a huge thing <laughs> to say. Um, before
1: you elaborate on that, I will say they're in a great South Park episode. They're very, very funny. It's the Scooby-Doo riff, which is great. Um, yeah. why, a lot to answer for. Like, Do you think that they've... Like, well, they they signed Limp Bizkit, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, we'll get into it. <laughs> <laughs> there's lots of bad stuff there. I mean, you were saying like you know they're a bit of an edgier thing, and they definitely were. But they definitely have a lot of juvenile trash as well, and some songs that just don't work. But no, for a time, man, for for teenage Dave, they were they were they were a big deal. So cool. you can't take that from me. I will never try
3: to take character away from witness that. at their trial in the Hague. Dave Hanretty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my number four is you're more. Textbook standard new metal. It's um gonna be two top five placings in consecutive weeks for uh your boy here. Maybe it'll end up being three, we'll see what your list. But um here's Joseph Scott Sappington, um also known as Josie Scott, <laughs> and his lads from Memphis, Tennessee. Okay, hand is up. You love this song, don't you? I was going to say, maybe this was a bad idea. Okay, fine. (laughs) Saliva there with Click Click Boom. There was a few contenders and, you know, your standard issue, New Metal, I can see why the chorus was big on radio. It's like doing that um, meta thing of talking about how he longed to be on the radio. It's a bit like pavement stereo, except way less good. And that's the only comparison to Stephen Malkman's we're going to hear on this top five, I think. Um, But, you know, like it just... For personal preference, I think that sound is extremely grating. Like, it's another kind of drop-D abomination, really. There's never enough low end with these guys. Um It's the stop-start riffs that aren't actually that creative. Do you know what I mean? It's very, again, as I say, kind of post-hardcore, helmet esque There's nothing really of the blues, not to get all Eric Clapton or something. I realize again, it's getting into territory of being like, oh, the blues man, Van Morrison had it right. But um, it just feels very weirdly Teutonic or something and flat to me. But the main problem, of course, with this song is just it sounds like a parody of a new metal song because of those lyrics, right? It's just, the verses are doing that discordant, half-wrapped thing where he's, like, showing a bit of attitude and he's talking about how he was up in his bedroom as a kid, like, you know, with a pen and a pad and a big imagination. And this is what he comes up with. It sounds like he kind of wrote it when he was 12. And he does that very hypocritical thing of uh, the clip we just heard where it's, you know, what the hell is wrong with me? You know, my mom and dad weren't perfect, but you don't hear me crying, like, you know, kind of bitch-ass person uh like hearing everyone else's cd it's like well you are complaining as well it's a very angsty song why are you going at your kind of you know scene buddies here like it's you're as bad as them you know what you're up to don't be all high and mighty josie and this irks me greatly
1: yeah i mean in fairness i mean like okay look i mean it's 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 an interesting thing to look back on my my wayward youth and the cds i bought and the ones i didn't I bought Nickelback's Silver Side Up on the strength of Hey You Remind Me. It was a bad album. I like to think that even then, you know, I did have a bit of quality control in my system. And uh Saliva. I never never bought a Saliva C D. So I'm glad to say that. Bravo. I, yeah, I'm thank proud you. Of you. Single clap. Um but like here's the thing, right? I only really know of them through uh, the aforementioned hero from last week which is obviously an incredible song and should have won every oscar going um and <coughs> they were also like one of one of like wwe's favorite bands that would pop up at events and stuff and they ended up doing uh batista's theme i walk alone which for what it is it's perfectly good and entertaining um we got a song called always that's a, tolerable again i think it was like a wwe thing but like they're bad he's bad uh one of my favorite memories of saliva i'm not even sure what song it is it could be always but like there's a There's a video in which he's, like, on a subway train, and he's clearly, like, someone who, like, works in, like, Wall Street, bro, and, like, you know, a tough corporate office environment, even though he looks like Josie Scott. I don't (laughs) think he's getting in, like, you know, so. But he's there, and he's, like, he's loosening his shirt and taking his jacket off and, like, rolling up his sleeves and, like, letting the energy and the aggression come out. And that's just, yeah, it's very... So much of new metal is posturing. So much of new metal is, you know, it's not a phase, mom, you know, fine. I, that, that's, that, 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 that can't be denied. But well, I think some bands wore it better than others, and I think saliva are pretty bad, so I can't defend yeah, them that in said, any way. That said, I'd
3: bit. rather hang out with Josie Scott than a Wall Street guy, I would say. Oh, you definitely, know, I could ask yeah. him about the old days of like, what was it like hanging out on that rooftop with Chad? <laughs> <laughs> Did you both know, know that you were making <laughs> magic <at>
1: that, <laughs> on that time? I know it was just for a Spider-Man movie, but you guys rocked it. Yeah, good choice. N- no arguments. No notes, Craig. Five stars. Great. <laughs> Okay. Number, number four for me, back in the best corner I mean, like I say, putting together a list like this There's some stuff you just can't leave out And you end up with like, you know, one or two Galacticos And this is definitely one of them You might challenge it being the metal But, you know, again, we're not going to do the whole thing So just play you I don't think you trust
0: In my Self-righteous suicide.
3: When angels deserve to die In
2: my self-righteous suicide I cry When
1: angels deserve to die Why yes, of course, it's System of a Down and the song is Chop Suey A very emotional number I've seen many a person on a dance floor many a grown man on a dance floor lose their minds to this one and then have that kind of big embrace you know uh our system of damn new metal i don't know they're complicated what do they you were very
3: much of the scene um it, it yeah it becomes that old chestnut of like as soon as a, a band tagged as new metal do something a bit more interesting or have a bit more I don't, I don't want to say talent but immediately becomes well that disqualifies them from because so often the tag is applied as a kind of pejorative right so System of a Down were doing their own thing. Other bands like Deftones were doing their own thing. You know, the slipknot of this world. But they were of that moment. It was MTV2. It was part of the scene. As you say, you know, people that were into the scene, this would be a staple on the stereo. I was going to say in the club, where the clubs there were like all ages shows that I previously talked about going to and moshing at. This is definitely a kind of crying while you're pogoing song. And yeah, I'm here for it.
1: Yeah, it's uh, 20 years old this year, which is terrifying, right? Um, But it was. It was formative. It was, you know, passed around. It was kind of a genre unto itself, I suppose you could say, about this song and this band, but weirdly kind of mainstream popular as well. It was the first single off Toxicity, their second record, um, an album that was number one on the charts in America during the week of 9-11. And as a result, we talked about this kind of on the show recently, Clear Channel issued an edict of any song of any kind of violent-related nature. And this was scrubbed, I believe, pretty fucking heinously the original title for the song was supposed to be actually called suicide um but then there's kind of a um there's a bit of a back and forth about like did the record label make them change it or were the band making their own statement? Um, they say that they did it under their own power. You know, Chop Suey is meant to be like a variation of this, cutting the word in half. And then thus, that's where that comes from. And then you can hear like at the start of the song, you can hear um, Serge Chankey in, in headphones kind of saying like, we're rolling suicide. And it's meant to be like, oh, I guess it's just a production thing. It's not actually a coded message or anything. Uh, I think it's quite a beautiful song. I think, you know, it's, it's system at their kind of apex, right? It's them just throwing everything they have ridiculously yeah. talented musicians very artful very kind of you know outside the boxy certainly doesn't deserve to be associated with a saliva i don't think so that's kind of the weird <laughs> yeah you know, do it,
3: it, i will say it does not work on acoustic guitar so could people please stop trying to do it is that a thing even though ironically it used to be one of those things it was almost in the same bracket as doing like a britney spears song ironically i've heard people try and cover chop suey and it never never works please stop doing it
1: well, as someone who, you know, famously picks up acoustic guitar at parties and plays Nights in Wide Satin by the Moody Blues, <laughs> well, Craig, <yeah. laughs>
3: why would you you're appreciate desperate, You're desperate. You're rolling that one out. You're on the ropes. All right. Go on. Okay. Continue this. Let's do it. Um, back in the worst corner, which is the title of my debut album. Yours is back in the best corner. Uh, we've now established. All right my number three is um, the poster boy <laughs> the poster man child of this old <laughs> sorry enterprise it was 2003 the end was near the end was already here this is what it sounded like Biscuit. I had a couple of albums. I quite liked them when I was 11 years old. The songs Eat You Alive I did not like them at this point. Um, Wes Borland had left <laughs> at this point. Um, you know, this is one of the tracks you can understand why why he hit the road. This is probably why he had to take, you know, scalding hot showers after every gig. Not just because of that elaborate paint, which was maybe the best thing about the whole scene <laughs> the way he looked. Uh, very creative. Yeah, this was... This was the start of, I guess, their commercial downfall, right? Like, this was the moment where they seemed infallible because they'd always been a bit stupid, they'd always been kind of mocked relentlessly, but they had this weird alchemy. You can kind of slightly hear it on the, you get the course kick in there where they will just bludgeon you and get kind of in your head enough to be, for a brief moment, undeniably capable of, of kind of moving people, um, moving preteens. But this is... Um, Fred Durst, I guess, impersonating, like, a sociopathic stalker type. It's kind of New Metal Stan, but, like, if instead of... Because the video of this... (laughs) has him kidnapping a woman and the the woman ends up liking him, essentially, uh, from what I can recall. So it's kind of like if Stan was less, like, existential and, you know, um, well-written and it just ended with Stan becoming best friends with Eminem and having a successful career as a rapper alongside him. uh, It was very weird. There were so many Limp Bizkit songs I could pick, but this just felt like the i remember when this came out it felt like oh they're no longer they're just redundant this is there's no coming back from this and yeah i mean it's got we previously did worst lyrics of all time you know fred durst we didn't even did we do a top five yeah we did do the top five we had a whole kind of corner where we could have just rolled through fred durst lyrics these are nearly as bad as it gets there's some even worse ones but the panty sniffing is is horrible (laughs) Yeah, no argument here. Um, he probably has
1: worse lyrics even on their he better does. albums. they quote-unquote better yeah, albums. Yeah. But I think um,
3: he could kind of get away with it because they were a bit more fun. They were dunderheaded. This, it just sounded kind of pathetic somehow.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, this is definitely the part where the Limp Bizkit story crashes to a halt, for sure. Um, I remember this vividly. I remember, because I fucking loved them for a time. I loved Significant Other. And I, you know, we all, everyone had a copy of Chocolate Starfish. <laughs> I, hate, I hated the name then. I hated it was now. I was
3: going to the gig they cancelled, Van. I was so very was excited. So was I. Yeah. The one
1: in, well, hang because <laughs> I think they cancelled The one in Punchestown. Yeah, Punchestown.
3: Yeah. Deaf times and sport. I had a ticket
1: and I think Everlast as well or like yeah, I had Everlast I had tickets and yeah that broke my fucking heart I was so sad it yeah. was going to be like one of my first gigs as well I think and I was like yeah Jesus that was de- I never saw them live um, and I would have loved to around that time because I know for teenage me it would have been the greatest thing of all time I maintain that They're they're a good band. Like I think, like you know, uh, John Otto is a very good drummer. Sam Rivers is a great bass player. Wes Boron's obviously an incredible guitarist. I guess John Otto will
3: indeed take you to the Matches
1: Bridge. He will. Uh, I think DJ Lethal will bring it on. You know. So I think ultimately, uh, and I think Fred Durst, in you know, in the right light, you know, can be a good frontman. There are be
3: rehabilitated, what you're going to say. But there are uh,
1: not when he's making movies like The Fanatic. I don't think. But I mean, like at the same time. I like them enough to, to like, forgive a lot of their sins, but for sure, the worst parts of Limp Bizkit are unforgivable.
3: It, it's kind of amazing that he became such a big star, right? Like, he did, He had some kind of weird charisma, I guess. He just didn't seem like someone that would become a star. He didn't really fit in any brackets. He was his own thing, in fairness to him. He stood out. He stood um, out there, well, yeah.
1: Still, no, no, no. I so said he
3: stood out. He is still out there Oh, well. sorry. I was he's like, really, yeah, it sounded a bit like an obituary.
1: Frederick like, is fine. <laughs> It's just, like, it's just such an interesting thing because I remember very specifically the time period between the last album and this one coming out. And, like, so as Borland leaves, and I remember, again pages of Kerrang! magazine but I remember like there was this whole thing where Olympus were holding in an, an, an America a nationwide competition to be their new guitarist and I was like yeah. this seems bizarre and I remember like following that again issue by issue and they'd have photographs and they'd be like it's down to 50 or whatever and there was one guy in particular who like looked like it was going to be him and then I I just kind
3: of my interest dropped Young off Yo, Mark Wahlberg was it
1: but I just <laughs> my interest dropped off and then like I saw them perform at like Wrestlemania that year or something and they played like possibly this and they played mm-hmm. the song Crack Addict and I was like that's not the guy from the magazine I think they just dropped the competition and just just got a guy they knew yeah Yeah. and it was like what was the fucking point of that and like so it just spoke to Abandoned Turmoil and yeah I mean I will say about this song Eat You Alive yeah horrendous lyrics I kind of like his dexterity on it and I like the chorus. I like but I don't I don't listen to this one. This is the album that has the cover of Behind Blue Eyes on it, isn't it? Which I also unironically like.
3: Yeah, so. I, I hate that cover. <laughs> I could have done I could have done a whole top 5 on terrible new metal covers. I don't really like that original anyway to be honest. I mean, he sings a kind of okay. He he could kind of surprisingly could pull off like a ballad at, at times a bit even with his limited vocals. But yeah, there was a lot of like a lot of ones that didn't make it. Um Stone Sour, I think it was, doing Shock the Monkey with Ozzy Osbourne. Some <laughs> terrible, terrible ones, yeah. Yeah, look, we could talk about
1: Biscuit all day. They're not on my list, I will say that for now. Um, They have songs I like. I like their Mission Impossible song. I think Significant Other... I went back to it this week, I threw it on, and, you yeah, know, I was tired before it was over. Teenage Dave has long, you know, departed this whole realm, but... They have some good songs. You could do a good greatest hits. Speaking of greatest hits, by the way, real quick, Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds have announced a greatest hits album. Yeah, sorry. That
3: today. I mean, <laughs> it's ten years in, but as far as I recall, it was just the first album that had a couple of hits, right? And it's been pretty quiet ever since. Yeah, it's a very odd one. Yeah, he could
1: take his cues though from from this genre, right? Number three for me in the good corner, a song that I will be obsessed with until the day I die. It's incredible. <laughs> Rembrandt as my right hand, solo as my pilot. Condemned man, convicted man. It's mushroom head and their song, Solitaire Unraveling. An act that I would have gotten into by seeing the cover of their album XX in 2001 and just being like, they wear masks. They must be as good as Slipknot. I'll buy this. And then mm. being like, fuck, this is like not quite what I was expecting. It's a lot more proggy than, uh, than that. Although I probably didn't know the word prog or variations thereof at the time. Um, an act we talked about in the show before. Um, particularly on our Feuds episode I think they of course have uh, a long running or had a long running feud yeah. with Slipknot you know it was, it was who did it first you know and it's kind of like well ultimately who cares but they do have very loyal fan bases who seem to hate each other but then there's people like me who love both bands um, I feel bad for Mushroomhead in that regard I think they deserve better than to be compared ad nauseum to Slipknot they make very different music as you can hear there um, this is an amazing song certainly more in key with a Fate No More or, or a Primus than say a it's almost heavy metal like but but it, but it yeah. has the,
3: you know, it has the hallmarks. It has the kind of aggro. It has the the kind of masculinity and the poppiness as well.
1: Yeah, it's extremely theatrical. Um, but they were a band like they got like a bit of a break. I think they signed to Universal in America, and then you know, since but since then, like they've been through. So many lineup changes and they're very much an independent band. It's amazing that they're kind of still going. They've been around for a very long time. They've amassed a loyal fan base, but they're they're minnows. Like, you know, they're known, but they're just not they, they don't make a mainstream impact. This was as close as they came, and even then, it was it got a bit as mainstream as being on Kerrang TV. But I think real ones know, Craig. And I think the song is just beautiful. I think it's 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 a beautiful mix of their kind of dual vocal thing, you know, you got the growler and the screamer, and you got like the guy who does the singing melody bits. And I love it. I love not knowing what it's about. Like, it just sounds like they picked up a bunch of fucking textbooks or, like, watched Star Wars one night and were like, let's put put all these words together. Let's contrast painters with Han Solo and... You know, they haven't ever spelled out what it means. It might mean nothing. It could be stone or nothingness. But, like, I love the orchestral sweep of it. I love the kind of, the, the scaling nature of it. It's a song that makes me feel 10 feet tall. It's a song that I think is genuinely uh, artful and, and interesting and and different and, and has, like, it's basically a symphony. And I, and I think it's just absolutely stunning. And there's very few songs out there like it, at least not that I'm aware of.
3: I think... In fairness to it, it has the mystery and maybe the genuine chaos to it that New Metal so often kind of promised from the outside and from the imagery. But then often with so many bands, it was quite standard stuff, little imagination, this kind of delivered. So um, I thought this might crop up uh a nice choice um and speaking of orchestral Sorry, d- sweeps oh, don't you a nice choice, a nice me. choice. <laughs> <laughs> this
1: isn't the fucking like <laughs> like i don't know like oh, sunday
3: supplement i think they might like. have featured in my top five just and probably on your recommendation um i'm yeah i'm interested to see what's going to be in your next couple uh, all right got some ideas but we'll see in terms of my number two um this lot have survived and thrived in the post new metal era and by thrived I mean getting kudos for just doing a terrible terrible live version of a kind of a classic.
1: Uh, yeah I know who this is. you <laughs>
3: Did you, uh, did you have to pick that clip? This is not fair. I, I probably should have flagged that beforehand because, I mean, you could say it's disturbing. It's disturbed, by the way. It's down with the sickness. It's too comical to be like. So it's, it's this whole extended part of the song where he's getting sensibly attacked by his mother and then he flips it around he kind of does a Jim Morrison like at the end of the end thing <laughs> where it's ugh. but it culminates him going back into that a really irritating vocal tick of whatever it was and just the most nauseating chorus, and yeah, David Draymond being the dude, um, Disturb being the band that would then um, kind of have a resurgence. They've had loads of, like, number one albums and stuff, it's it's absolutely bizarre, but they did The Sound of Silence live, and people flipped out, a certain type of people flipped out, it was like, oh my god, this is such an incredible interpretation, and actually, they totally ruined the song, and it was just him bellowing, like, it was. I don't know. It just made no sense to me. But it kind of drove home how they just have no subtlety whatsoever. They don't really have any great musicality. And his voice is so irritating out of all the new metal bands. Somehow he's annoying, but also completely like featureless. It's try hard. They are, they always struck me as one of those new metal bands that seemed a bit more mature or like offering depth but actually that was just them being quite boring like perpetually to the right of someone like Soulfly four lines down on a kind of on a gig flyer on like an Ozfest flyer uh in a lineup and chicago band still going bombastic dreadful i mean i can't get over that sound of silence thing as well it's when like when did they when did they first do that live were you there It was, um, I think it was the Conan O'Brien show a few years ago. I think that's how it kind of exploded. Trying to imagine
1: you in attendance with a tear rolling down your face, (laughs) looking for the exit door.
3: I remember seeing the clip and just being like, I don't know, if if Garfunkel came back as like a xenobite or something, this is what we're getting. Like, it's just, (laughs) (laughs) oh, but it just, yeah. I think that sums up them because he he starts off that song just doing a very dry read of it and they have to build towards something which is the drums and the strings because they, they don't really offer anything except for kind of shocks and you know even he, I, I was reading quotes of his talking about this song which was a huge huge hit and obviously the edited version got rid of the extended part we just heard. Wise move, yeah. But he was yeah and again, apologies to the listener, uh it was yeah, quite draining. David Draymond was talking about how David Draining, um, yes. <laughs> yeah the abuse segment is um it's not actually literal and he was never abused as a child and it wasn't even about that he was talking about how it speaks about the eternal struggle of the individual against the mother culture of society that is constantly trying to beat the child struggling for independence and individuality in submission and yeah as soon as like a new metal dude starts talking about the mother culture i'm just out
1: so yeah he's like the new metal brian mcfadden at this stage i mean like
3: i I have to confess right I, i
1: bought this album of course I had it, and sometimes, like you know, you 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 buy record sight unseen in those days. In some cases, and you bring it home, and you're like, "Oh no, I don't like this." After all, Disturbed were not we're not one of my one of my posse. You know, I'm not a big Disturbed guy. As a matter of fact, I remember they were like oft ridiculed in the pages of Kerrang! and Metal Hammer. They were just like ripping the fuck out of David Draymond just because of how silly he was, like with his his big you know uh, piercings. That uh, like like. Uh, on his face that kind of go under his chin these kind of like again yeah I think Garfunkel Cenobite Hellraiser is a pretty good I,
3: I, I distinctly remember maybe having a few issues myself um, issues of Kerrang! magazine I should point out <laughs> <laughs> um, like live shots of him and I, I kind of remember him being like wheeled out in a straitjacket and being put in like an electric chair yeah, before he started yeah. like there was a lot of that going on which is ridiculous and like yeah no, they just they're, they're really kind
1: of lame and it's um they that album the, that album actually has a cover it has a cover of yeah. shout by tears for fears which i do enjoy but the sound of silence is 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 appalling i sh- I will say like in closing um yeah like no jury in the world could argue uh, could could let this guy off but that bit you know that bit the bit that you played um yeah uh, trigger like triggered me like countless times that would come on and i'm blaring it in my bedroom or outside or something and like I'm running and I'm turning the volume down. You, there's no way, even as an angsty teenager who should be listening to music that upsets his parents, that you can possibly, with a straight face, ever defend or explain. It's like that. I've said this before, but it's like that time a couple of years ago when I was in my living room watching some kind of monster, the Metallica documentary, and my housemate walked in. And I just, the blood ran out of my system. And like I said, <laughs> it would have been easier to explain me watching hardcore porn in the living yeah. room than it would. I to hear f- you. So yeah. yeah, it's tough. Right. Uh, number two for me. Um, it's funny, you know, the, the Mushroom Head song we had last, you know, it was initially my number two. Uh, it doesn't really matter. I, I I love it with all my heart. And I love this one too. This was, this was my Sophie's Choice moment of the week. Trying to pick just one song. And then it came down to two songs. And then I went with this one. Because this was pretty much like an absolute explosion in my life which you know has just been with me ever since so here's my here's my runner up Why yes, of course, it is those other masked maniacs of the genre. It's Slipknot. The song is Wait and Bleed, came out in 1999. It was their debut single as this version of Slipknot, they did have a previous iteration, but this is when Corey Taylor and others joined. Uh, The version that you heard there is a composite of them playing at OzFest, and I guess it's slightly more kind of radio-sweetened mix a little bit, but it would have been the first time I really kind of encountered them, I think. That video was all over Kerrang! And I also remember very, very specifically being in school and someone giving me a copy or lending me a copy of their first uh, record, their self-titled record, and like I say, you know the the doors were opened by Limbisket, by Fred Durst, and by Jonathan Davis of Korn. The doors of perception, you might say, <laughs> <laughs> into Sorry, the palace. <clears> Sorry, <throat> or Jim thing. Into the palace of wisdom itself, Craig, and it was like Slipknot just fucking kicked those doors in. You know, I mean, like they were just the number one from that point on. I was, I was obsessed. I was entranced. I still am, but certainly back then, I mean, it was like nothing I'd ever heard the imagery I found so intoxicating all the urban legend bullshit that I probably didn't even believe then of like you know oh like they burned a stage down when they were playing I'm like did they really why why aren't they in jail you know um <laughs> Uh, clown has a has a dead crow in a jar and he sniffs oh, it and yeah. vomits into Huff his mask the crow I, which
3: god i totally forgot about hoping
1: the crow may have been a thing but like i don't know i mean like all the urban legends all the, all the mythos all the lore um but what i really came down to was a band that i absolutely loved the sound of i i just thought they were the fucking coolest thing even like rewatching that kind of video today a few times i was kind of transported back to my teenage self and there was just something so freeing about this band. I can completely understand why people don't like them and, and, and would take one look at them and think that they're just ridiculous and, you know, think it's just nonsense. And, and I get that. I have no problem whatsoever with that criticism. But for me, it was escapism. It was pure escapism. It was like an incredible film. It was an incredible TV show. It was a book. It was just like this thing that tapped into me and I felt, you know, Scene you know in the good way, I felt like this band were on my wavelength, and I loved everything about it. I loved just the burst of this, the energy uh the vocals I thought were absolutely incredible, the kind of mixture again of singing and screaming, um yeah, it was just like nothing else, and it was important, and they are an important band to me. I think they are amazing, and it 's a hell of a first shot in anger, even if like the first album like was so off its time. It was obviously produced by Ross Robinson and it was very much like short songs. This song is only two and a half minutes long. I will say when I said the Sophie's Choice thing, um, I was so close to putting in Duality from 2004, which I know an awful lot of people absolutely love. It's probably their biggest kind of, maybe it's their biggest hit or one of the most regarded. And it's almost up there as like the song that even if you think Slipknot are terrible, you'll probably like this one. It is incredible. But to me at that point on the third record, which I think is their masterpiece, I think they'd left New Metal behind. I think I think they'd outgrown the genre. I think they'd become a bit more interesting and a bit more kind of substantial. And I think Duality is incredible. It is technically a new Metal song. But to me, I had to go back to where it all began and it's always going to be Wait and Bleed forever.
3: I I very much like the song. Uh, I like a lot of their stuff. I'm not a huge fan. I enjoy and appreciate very much the whole universe they created. Um, they're clearly very artistic. I uh, clearly got the genre right. I remember thinking like... Oh, Probably first time reading about the Norwegian black metal scene, which is just chaotic and crazy. And there's so much mythology around and blah, blah, blah. And then you hear the music and you're like, this is just trash. This is oh, have, this is dreadful stuff. But if those bands sounded like Slipknot, my God, <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? I don't even really know what I'm trying to say there, but they're evocative. They get the people going. And uh, yeah, I thought this one might creep up. I'm What's going to be number one? It's really I'm obvious. It should exactly be really obvious. Myself. Well, we'll do yours first, will we? We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. This is um, a collaboration um, <laughs> featuring <laughs> this is an unholy union. Um, let's just let it roll. This isn't even the worst segmented song. I'm making amends for the last one, but here you go. Your
0: fucking mouth, John.
3: If you run, you can never fuck me up this blanket At least I
0: got a fat original
3: from nah, your the cob, you need a new yeah. job. It's <laughs> corn <laughs> with Fred Durst bailing in. Um, Be real. Of Cypress Hill was supposed to feature on this, but his record label wouldn't let him do it. <laughs> they advised against it. Um, it's on the family um, from "Follow the Leader," which is a really like that was a huge album. This sticks out like a sore thumb. But really I does. remember at the time yeah. people were very excited about it, and by people I mean like eleven-year-olds. But it seemed quite edgy, <laughs> and it is two absolute edge lords at the high of their edgy powers um jonathan davis that's you know when I, he teased earlier on that he had a lot to answer for um and he should know known better this was like at the height of his substance problems as you can probably imagine <laughs> he said himself it's the dumbest fucking track corn ever did uh this is what drugs and alcohol will do to a motherfucker and he just kind of laughed it off um <laughs> and yeah It's that weird synth, which is like playing all the wrong notes and just is so grating. It's the screaming. It's how obnoxious it is. Yes, David, you've got your (laughs) hand up. (laughs) I just
1: want to say thank you very much. And I know the listeners will thank you too for leaving out the rampant, violent homophobia in this track.
3: Yeah, and that's probably the main thing because... Korn um, had, a feature of um, their music was the traumatic childhood of Davis himself and how he'd been um, the victim of homophobia as well and kind of, you know, a lot of their more emotionally powerful songs dealt with that and kind of, um, that kind of ignorance, I guess. And then you have this very flippant track that isn't really that ironic, um, where they're just thrown around horrendous insults that are like, like sub-playground stuff because, I guess they're doing a hip hop battle or what they think is a hip hop battle. And this is another problem of new metal for me as well, where it's like they'll take elements of hip hop without really understanding the genre or being in any way good at what it does. And the same kind of goes for metal. You know, a lot of them aren't the world's best players. There's no real craftsmanship in that regard. This, even if it's, it's clearly kind of jokey, but they also seem quite proud of it at the time, just sums up the kind of dumpster fire that a lot of the genre was so it had to be my number one it was immediately straight in there yeah
1: yeah look listen again i mean like it's if if i was a like a a defense attorney you know i I, i'd be sweating furiously right now and like (laughs) begging for surprise witnesses like doing anything I could to rescue this because it's so difficult to do this was another skipper when I had this on on CD I was like no thank you I don't need this I'm not saying world is the
3: most enlightened worst two rappers teabagging each (laughs) other yeah I I,
1: I really wasn't the most enlightened 15 or 16 year old in the world but like even I had my limits and unfortunately this tested them
3: but like I say you got a total pass Dave even if you loved it these were grown men Fred Durst was like in his 30s at this point if I recall correctly
1: It was a different culture um, oh. Culture with a K You know Backwards or Of course in there as backwards well. or So here's the thing right um, I guess if I had one last chance To try and save this trial You know And stop the metal Getting the electric chair David Draymond style uh, I would go with this number one Which to me is a song That transcends the genre I think it is just The most Apart from me Probably The most unheralded Underrated song Out there And a song that just Takes me into different worlds Every time I hear it Hit that music Adam Thank you so open. And all it was was something beautiful when tides and dreams don't seem so tall at all. It's American Head Charge, and the song is Just So You Know. And I'm sure there's about five or ten listeners who are like, well, of course he was going to pick that one. I'm pretty sure it's been in a top five before. It's it's one of my favorite songs. It's probably in my top ten favorite songs by anybody ever. I think it's just an absolutely beautiful masterwork. Um, Mixes the balance of light and dark, incredibly mysterious, mesmerizing, amazing, soulful, heartfelt, strange, different. Uh, An anthem for freaks, an anthem for people who adore music. I fucking love it so much. Um, weird band, American Head Charge. Big into them around the time of this album coming out. The first album, The War of Art. They were signed to I think American Recordings. Um, Rick Rubin produced the record. Um, claim from Slipknot did a remix of this track, and they had buzz. You know, they were on tour with like Slipknot possibly, and like they were going to be the next big thing. um Lots of issues within the band, though. Uh, lots of personal changes. Lots of kind of substance abuse uh, issues as well. Uh, a member died suddenly. Um, It just didn't take off in the way maybe it could have. I think that they were probably unfortunately ensnared by rockstar excess bullshit, but they had something. That first album has a lot of great stuff on there. They were very theatrical. I saw them live at OzFest 2002. I saw Mushroomhead there as well, as well. The only time I've ever seen either of those bands and probably ever will. And they were special. There was just something a bit different. There was a bit more to them. There was a bit more to them than the genre that they were encased within and were kind of feeding off. Um, They made a comeback years ago, put out a fairly middling album it just you know it was a spark that kind of blew up and just burnt out but they've lots of songs I return to but this one to me is different like it, there's just something it's like a strange novel like you know that like only a few people have access to there's just something incredible about it I absolutely love it and I won't wax lyrical too much more on it instead what I will do to close this section is something kind of special something I know Craig's going to appreciate that's right it's time for Dave's new metal quiz let's do it oh, no <laughs> I have 10 questions, Craig. 10? Yes. Okay. Let's do it. Right, let's do it. Uh, all right, um, uh, okay. <sighs> uh, number one. What does POD stand for? Payable on debt. Correct. Number two. Great Christian new metal there. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> name, number two. Name the debut album by Limp Bizkit.
3: Oh, shit. Um, Not that, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> Um significant order was there. A second. Three dollar something order very close. Yeah. Uh, hold on. $3 hot dog. I don't know. I can't. $3 bill, y'all. Half a point? $3 bill, y'all. Oh, I'll give you, yeah, I'll give you half a
1: half. point. Half point. Right. point uh number three, right? One of these new metal bands does not exist. So listen carefully. I'm gonna name five <laughs> acts right now. I've made one of them up. Which is it? Spine Shank. Coal Chamber, Murder School, 36 Crazy Fists, and Finger Eleven. Um murder school correct oh my god he's only gone and got it two and a half so far you'll get this one number four what did disturbed want us to get down with exactly (laughs) the sickness correct three and a half (laughs) never
3: more relevant than the last year or two those guys (laughs) ahead of their time forebears of the world number
1: five uh i think this act may have featured in a previous top five can you name jada pinkett smith's new metal band
3: <clears throat> they were probably in one of those <laughs> bands you listed she wasn't in Spine Chank um, I'll give you a slight clue if you want one was it like twisted Illiter-
1: it's it, it's alliterative does that help um twisted up now. I can't remember wicked wisdom was the answer to that uh, <laughs> wicked wango card <laughs> number six and I can't believe they didn't feature in yours Evanescence their two biggest songs featured in what superhero movie
3: um, shit. Because I want to say Spider Man, but it can't have been that stacked a soundtrack. <laughs> um. No, they weren't on that. It was a year later.
1: And this one only got one film. <laughs> the actor said that he would never play a superhero again and then did oh um the incredible hulk was it no the answer is daredevil craig i'm afraid uh oh yes I, <laughs> I never i don't think i ever saw daredevil yeah like there are two big songs that are in that movie my immortal and uh bring me to life two terrible songs uh, I thinking, number seven i think, seven, I, think yeah. you're, I, th- I think you're on four and a half uh number seven lincoln park released two songs after or sorry four two different transformers movies name either song Sorry, they named or they they released, released two songs for two separate Transformers movies. Name either song.
3: Um, I was totally off the train at this point. Got into the Transformers stuff. Two thousand seven
1: and two thousand nine, I believe. The first film and the second film.
3: It's like something. Is that when they're on their two minutes to midnight kind yeah, of? It's and, not two, and two minutes to midnight, but it's One of those songs is on minutes to midnight as well. Big single. M- minutes to midnight. Uh, um, I feel like it'll come to me in the middle of the night, but it won't because you're going to tell me. No, I, I'm not going to get it.
1: It could <laughs> still come to you in the middle of the night. You know, who knows? Like a cold <laughs> <Haunt> sweat. <me. laughs> uh, you could have had What I've Done, and you could have had New Divide, but you had neither of those. Three questions to go One more film related one Here we go Slipknot cameoed In the John McTiernan remake Of Rollerball in 2002 Can you name (laughs) any Of the three lead actors For one point
3: Rollerball (laughs) Um. (laughs) Even I haven't seen this Billy Bob Thornton (laughs) No
1: Um, An actor from American Um. Pie A a rapper And an ex-woman Are in the cast here Um Ice Cube, no. Um, Jason Biggs. <laughs> the answer would have been either you could you could have given me Chris Klein, LL Cool J, or Rebecca romaine Stamos. So no, still on four and, and a half. I really couldn't have. Yeah, go two on. to go. I
3: I need to break five. Go on. Uh, Jacoby Shaddix
1: is the lead singer of what new metal band? Um, Roach, yeah. Correct. Boys. Well done. And finally, what does Kerrang! Magazine use instead of stars in their rating system?
3: Oh, fuck. It's been so long. Jesus. It's K's, is it? It is indeed. Well done. Yeah, Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, what was the final score, Adam? Yeah, six and a half? Prickly.
1: <laughs> I think you got six and a half. Well done. That's pretty good. I'm proud of myself. It's pretty good. Okay. Take that uh, spirit with you throughout the day. And that is The end of our episode, listener. I hope you stayed with us. That's the new metal top five, good and bad. Uh, I feel spent. You feel, you yeah, look, I was you look
3: emotional, Craig. That was a roller coaster. Um, both in terms of I enjoyed doing the worst tracks, watching you go through um, the journey that you were clearly on all week. And as we recorded, how do you feel? You're, you're spent, obviously, but. I feel like we gave a good, fair enough account of the genre. What's the what's the takeaway? What did we learn about New Metal? I like We learned that um <laughs> it's not Yeah it's it's not the
1: destination, it's the journey, I think. I, I, I think uh, yeah, that's where and we're, it
3: it might be the friends you make along the way, to be honest, because a lot of these front men you might want to hang out with, but a lot of people that were, you know their gateway was New Metal turned out to be fantastic people that we all want to hang out with again very, very soon.
1: It's a moment in time. It's a moment that persists to this day, and you can look back on it and have different perspectives and take some gems and absolutely bury some absolute atrocities, I think was the word you used during the week. Uh, Congratulations on getting it down to five. I know that must have been tough as well. It was hard for me. And if it was good for you, though, listener, listening in as always, uh, patreon.com slash Encore. we will have a No Ox Chord episode coming soon exclusively for patrons in which Craig and I will have a, a casual reserve and I promise it'll be a new metal free zone uh, in terms of the songs and the albums we'll be recommending to you and of course you know listen I mean like we work very hard on the show we love that you love it if you want to go the extra mile and throw us the price of a pint which we can enjoy outdoors pretty soon I believe uh, that'll be just lovely but for now this episode of No Encore was engineered by the wonderful the beautiful new metal sensation Adam Shanahan and I was joined with my Fred Durst. Are you the Fred Durst? Am I the Jonathan Davis? Who would you be? Oh,
3: let's not do that. <laughs>
1: we're, <laughs> we're No Encore, goddammit. Right. Uh, yes, No Encore is the show. My name is Dave Henry. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. Much love. Back soon. Adios.
2: This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the
1: podcast studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.
3: What you doing?
0: Trying on glasses with
1: Zenny's 3D virtual
2: try-on.
3: Wait, are those the actual prices? I say get all of
2: them.
1: Seriously, why not, Right.
2: Oh, now I want new glasses.
1: Zenny
3: quality prescription glasses starting at six ninety five.
1: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing.